Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Hey, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I'm excited to announce two things. First is that my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, is now live on Amazon. So go get it. The second thing is we have a new sponsor, Qualified.com. I'm going to tell you about them in the next couple seconds here and also how you can get a free copy of my book thanks to them. So who are these people? Well, Qualified is the number one live chat and chatbot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Sales reps can have real-time personalized conversations with who? Your hottest website visitors. So I want you to know, I don't just partner with anyone. I genuinely love these guys and the platform, we use it at my company. Our sales team loves it. We've closed a lot of deals based on it. Um, had a lot of great conversations with prospects too. So, you know, a lot of marketing these days is what? Hurry up and wait, right? Fill out this form. And then if we pass you over to sales, maybe you'll swap six emails with them to find a good time to talk. But what if a prospect is doing research right now and they would chat now? Why not give them the opportunity? So the best part is your company actually decides what leads are worth a live chat. There's a lot of noise out there. You don't want to talk to everyone. So Qualified actually connects to Salesforce and Pardot, and it's able to pull in lead and contact information. So you can specifically know if you're talking to a VIP, a VP, a decision maker. It's really kind of like magic. Now, if you don't know who someone is, well, what happens then, Casey? Well, that's when the bots come in handy. Chatbots can then ask you know, questions to further qualify a lead. Find out if maybe this is someone you do want to talk to. And they can book meetings while your sales team is out. And they can wake up the next morning with a bunch of meetings on their calendar. Now, here's the promo. If you are a company that wants to give your sales team this ability, right, to be able to talk to decision makers right when they're on your website, do this. Go to qualify.com and start a chat, right? They use their own tool, of course. Start a chat. Tell them that Casey sent you. If you have Salesforce Pardot, when you schedule and then do a demo, they will send you a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed. Not bad, right? Well, it's only while supplies last. So hop on this thing today. And that's it for sponsors. Let's get to the show. And here we go. All right. We're cranking. We're live. We're doing this thing. And my guest today is freaking awesome. And I can't wait to introduce you to her. I met her. Uh, she was a speaker at a marketing ABM event. And we were both speaking. And she was freaking cool to the point where people thought we worked together afterward at dinner. They're like, you guys are great. And I was like, we got to get this on the podcast. So let me tell you about her. She is an award-winning marketing leader, a B2B innovator award winner, a C-Vent marketing star. She is a storyteller. Uh, really a champion for the sales and marketing alignment, and the VP of marketing at Avarian, Sherry Meresdorf. How are you? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, Casey. I almost lost myself in your introduction. <laughs> there were so many things to say, but we got through it. We did. You did a so, great job. You made me sound awesome. Well, it's true. And if you want, I can send you a clip of that later. You can just listen to on repeat. Oh, yeah. I wake up every morning. Good affirmation. Yeah, yeah. Or just listen to the podcast every morning. I could use the listens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the most popular of 2020. New yes. goal. 
Yeah, you're like, huh? Why does your episode have a thousand more listens than than everyone else's? <laughs> no reason. <laughs> brought it. I brought so, it today. So this is the marketing leadership series, and I'm so glad you're here to be on this. It's like we want to pick the brains of VPs of marketing like yourself and find out what 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 are you thinking? You know, like, and what are your challenges and what are your strategies and how did you get all that information and all that knowledge? So we now need to pass you something. Hold on, it's kind of heavy. All right, here it is. This is Thor's hammer. Go ahead, grab that. You got it? I don't it? know how to grab it. How do I grab it? Oh, grab it. Virtually, pretend <laughs> like Mr. Rogers. Um, so take this hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, you know, misconception, whatever just drives you crazy. Um, let's see. I think one of the things that is always top of mind I talk about with people all the time and is very religious in some in some circles is that I we think we should kill the lead object. I think it should be dead. Kill the lead object. Yeah. Yeah, and you're right. It's heresy in some circles. Mm -hmm. I tend to be a fan of it, but I may not have thought properly through this situation. So tell me, why kill it? What will you replace it with? And how are people using it now? Like all these things. What What's the thought? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think at the core, and this is obviously a very Salesforce techie object thing. is that the, I always talk about leads being on an island and you don't want them to be on an island. And um, Eddie Varian, and Eddie Varian was recently acquired by HealthGrade. So we're now part of HealthGrade. So, um, congrats. HealthGrade, thank you. Evarian and HealthGrade sell enterprise solutions. We have lots of people that are involved in those sales cycles, lots of decision makers that we need to engage at various points for various reasons. And the lead object doesn't allow you to think about the account. You're just kind of a random person floating out there in space. Um, And I think that's a big, big problem, particularly for marketers who need to be putting together programs that are supporting the the sales organization and the booking targets that we all have. Sure. Um, And I think the lead objects hold us back from that because you're just, you don't have all the other information that you might need about that account. Um, And then I also think it makes the team's job harder. The SDRs or the BDRs, I mean, we can have a whole discussion about what we call these things yeah, because um, they go by many, many names. But I think it also makes their job harder because now they're flitting back and forth, trying to understand which account does this go to? What's, tell me more information about the account. Um, should I even be calling this thing or do I need to triage it somewhere? Um, and so you're taking away effectiveness and efficiency from that team as well. And so Overall, I think it's just hurting us. So I'm a big fan of just converting all of your leads to contacts and accounts. And um, for the most part, we have all of those accounts created. So we're able to make that match and move people over in an auto-magically process. Um, Right. You know, I I guess you really got me thinking. It's a no-brainer for ABM, right? ABM, a lead is, there's a bigger account at play here. So Mm -hmm. that doesn't quite fit that situation. But I even mm-hmm. thought about, you know, some of our own traditional marketing where, you know, I even think of my own system where I was just looking at leads the other day and, you know, some of them, we, ha- we have to actually note the hot ones now because you might have 30 new people sign up for a webinar or whatnot, but they're not all ready to buy right now. They, they're in your system, they're, but so they're created as leads, but they're, you know, and then do we send these over to sales and then really the hot leads that we now mark, those people ask to be reached out to all these other people haven't really asked for anything and they probably don't want to be contacted. Are they really even a lead or they're kind of just more of like a a contact, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
I could see that even, you know, even if ABM isn't your thing and you just have that more traditional route, it's still, what are you going to do? Convert all those people? It's like the only thing this fits is like that small fraction of sales where you get someone coming in, they're ready to buy like a week later and you just work the lead, the -hmm. Glenn Gary lead or something. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think you can set different parameters for when you decide a a Mm -hmm. lead goes over to a contact. Um, But even when I think back to when I was at Cvent, the team spent a lot of time trying to understand, was this a duplicate lead? And which account, which also may have had a duplicate. And right. so it just they spent a lot of time on that stuff and not then calling, following up, nurturing, setting appointments, doing all the stuff that they really should have been. Yeah, that's a good point. All the housekeeping. You spend a lot of time doing housekeeping. and spend a lot of time housekeeping. Sales and is so, good at doing the nor- one things we want them to do anyways. Well, some of them yeah. are. But like, <laughs> we have enough trouble. Hey, call this person. They actually are a hot lead. Please call them. Mm-hmm. Versus like doing the house cleaning and hey, mark this status as this and mark that status as this and clean up this right. account. You're right. right. There's a lot of busy work you could cut out. Right. And so even if you decide, okay, I don't want to send all of my leads over to become contacts and accounts and do that right off the bat. I think that there's a discussion to be had about, well, when do we just auto convert that lead to a contact? Yeah. Um, maybe it is only when it reaches whatever threshold to be an MQL. Um, <laughs> Well, that's another yeah. one. Do you want to do you want to slay the MQL while we're at it? Um, yeah, I'll slay the MQL. Uh-oh. Um, uh So <clears throat> I don't know if this is so much slaying the MQL actually versus <laughs> the way that we we're like backing away from it. Well, maybe well, not. let me just reframe it. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's actually more about how we talk about goals within marketing. I think. Okay. Um, I'm, so I'm also a big fan of rebranding language. So I think shared language is super important between um, teams, not just sales and marketing, but customer marketing, customer team, customer ops. Like it just, it's, it goes all the way down, downhill there. So if MQLs aren't working and it has a bad rap within the organization, just call it, call it something else. It doesn't need to be an MQL or an AQL or whatever the new language is today. So I think you can rebrand it, but Either like way, the word, whatever the, the, the words like cool, move it. If it's bothering somebody, great. Yeah. Now it's called a Casey qualified lead. Okay, great. You're right. welcome, America. Right. <laughs> um, and when you're trying to go through, um, which we're we're about to do here, um, as one as one comp- one integrated company now, we'll have to go through this lead management process. But as you're going through those discussions, if there's language that exists right now that doesn't make sense or it means different things to other people, I actually think you should just rebrand the thing instead of trying to re-educate people because it's actually going to be harder to like drop that nomenclature. Um, But the real myth that I have around MQLs is not goaling your marketing team on MQLs. I think that that sets up um, an inadvertent uh, incentive for the marketing team that maybe you don't want. Or if you are really passionate about goaling them on MQLs, because I know it's a pretty common process, you got to put some other kind of check and balance in place in the same way that you might with an SDR team, if you're going to pull them on meetings, which is, you know, a pretty popular way to do that too. Um, what happens on, when you, when they're unchecked and you incense on MQLs, what's the worst oh, case? I think, seen? I think, um, I think marketers start to do things that maybe are unbecoming of our profession to try to meet our goals. So in the same way that sales has goals, right, they have booking goals. And um, when they're behind, they tend to blame marketing. For not yeah. giving them enough stuff that's ready to close right now, and that's a 
different problem and different conversation, but they can't really get around the fact that nobody closed, right? right. Uh, marketing can kind of play some games with their scoring to hit their number or do more <laughs> of the thing that they know is going to drive that score, but maybe yeah. isn't the most effective thing because we haven't fixed the scoring process or um, whatever that, that mechanism is to flag the, the hot stuff. Um, so I think if you are going to then go marketing on MQLs, you need to have some kind of check on the conversion. Um, yeah, I know quality, that keep that quality high. Yeah. Yeah. So you need some kind of check there. Um, and it's a different, it can be a difficult conversation and different organizations are built different ways. And the way that they think about the role marketing has into the sales funnel can be challenging and marketers just like SDRs don't marketers don't have control over whether that deal is going to close or not. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily want to tie them just to bookings, but I think if you're going to go them on, the MQL, you need to have some other check. Um, right. Our team today, coming coming from Iberian, who knows? I don't know what the future holds quite yet because it's only right. been three weeks. But fingers crossed. Iberian, we talked a lot about op- the number of net new opportunities and what was the pipeline generated. Okay. So we had a very strong stance. I had a very strong stance that um, we didn't talk about marketing influence. I'm sorry, we didn't talk about marketing sourced. We talked about marketing influenced, and part of that was because we had such a small addressable market. Um, or spawning, we had named accounts effectively um, in the U.S. because we only sell to hospital systems. Um, so they were known entities. But like, I hope that our sales team was calling all of those accounts all the time. I hope the mm-hmm. SDRs were doing that. I um, We paid attention to what our penetration rate was. And so what percentage of accounts that we really cared about were we having some kind of engagement with quarter to quarter to quarter? Right. Um, and so we... I can't, I can't be in the middle of a conversation about who sourced to that deal if we're all doing those activities all at the same time. Um, and like, which thing was the thing that pushed them over the edge, right? Like that just becomes a really political conversation. So um, for us, we actually were then responsible for reporting on the all pipeline added and um, had the understanding that like we were all doing things to influence that that pipeline. And obviously we would do downstream tracking and we're actually reporting about what was influencing and what levers we had, but um, that was the stance that we had at the organization. So that's how my team um, was pretty much gold. And we cared, we cared about what we call PDUs. So we used the domain waterfall, not the OG waterfall with MQLs, SALs, SQLs. Um, so we still looked at those numbers. We still had goals around how What is that real quick? The domain unit waterfall or? So one thing versus another. Which one oh. do you do versus which one you don't do? Sure, sure, sure. So the domain unit waterfall is um, a lead management practice um, where we're looking more at a group of buyers moving through that funnel rather than an individual. So uh, what I always refer to as the OG waterfall, um, or you also have the re-architected waterfall. Um, They're going to look at individuals right up until you become a sales opportunity. So you might have five people from the same account doing activities and one of those MQLs is going to be converted and the other ones are all going to be dropped and maybe not getting the full picture. And then yeah. if any other MQLs come through, those are the, the BDRs that are catching them are going to go, nope, that's already an opportunity. Mike's got it. I don't need to follow up on that when really they should be part of that process. So the demand unit waterfall is going to look at that buying group um, and follow them through that funnel from being uh, target to active to engaged to uh, prioritize demand unit. So we call it a PDU. That's basically the equivalent of an MQL um, in this more account-based world um to qualify to pipeline so it's just changing the 
changing the framework in which we think about that waterfall, but the basics of it are kind of the same when you think about tracking people through their activities. Because at the end of the day, we're still selling to people and humans. True. Um, but we want to understand what's going on at the account and what might be interesting there. Right, right. That You know, that makes sense to look at the group themselves, but I could see how that might be a little wonky to try to set that up in a sales force or a system where it's all about the leads to your earlier point you have to really hack it to say no 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 we're looking at these pdus we're looking at units like groups of people that are moving down the pipe and you're also looking at the opportunities that are created around them Um, so it's a different kind of reporting structure than say the out of the box tools probably give you um so we actually use the opportunity object for okay. to house the demand unit um, or to house the buying group. It's really, if you really stop and think about it, that opportunity is designed to do that. Um, and ultimately in an enterprise sales, that's how the sales team sells anyway. They're going to sell at that account level. So um, that opportunity object is already kind of built to handle this. And so all we're doing is we're extending that funnel earlier into the process and automating or close around it. But then it, does also help with a lot of reporting because the tool tools, whether you're using Salesforce or an Insight Squared or Domo or um, sure. Full Circle or whatever, it, using that object really did help um, wow. get us a lot further with reporting than we would have if we just tried to build it natively in Salesforce in like True. the old OG way where you right. use all the triggers and workflows and timestamps and 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 and, and then you right. get a version of leads to contacts and then into opportunities and the whole mess that happens kind of all the way through. Jeez. So that's really cool that the opportunity object, if you think about it, yeah, they've got like contact roles in there. You can put the whole team in there. So Mm -hmm. you just start an opportunity earlier, like maybe marketing creates that as opposed to leaving leaving it to like sales land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, a lot of the demand unit stuff is automated for us when we went through the process of, defining the business goals and the business requirements and all the tech requirements, blah, 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 blah. One of the things that was very, very important to me and was totally not, it was a non-negotiable was automating the creation of demand units and automating the, the addition or the adding of the buying members to that demand unit. And so the, we have workflows in place um, in Salesforce today that basically when there is a campaign response, if there's not an open opportunity or demand unit, we automatically create that because again, we're converting all of those leads to contacts and matching them in the right accounts. The sales team has the ability to also go create things that are sitting at, at an earlier stage. So um, our BDRs, for example, if they had a, a list of targeted accounts that they were working hand in hand with their AE, they could go create those all sitting at target so that they had those demand units sitting at the top and we could track them through the funnel. But it's going to start at whatever is the appropriate stage given the thing that you did. And we're going to add um, everyone that we've deemed as a required, required is what we call it, persona mm. to that um, to that product or solution cell. And so we went through a process of deciding who were those buyers that are basically always involved and or that we would like to be involved. So there was a little bit of aspirational um, stuff happening there in terms of trying to speed up our velocity and improve our close rate in terms of who we were talking to and moving upstream. Um, but we'll add all those contacts that match those personas automatically at the time the demand unit is created because something happens and then continue to add people who have any kind of engagement related to that product 
and or net new contacts who are added, but meet one of those personas. So right. um, for example, we track whether we have coverage for the CEO and CFO. Mm-hmm. It's not often that we actually are talking to them in the buying process, but we want to be. And so do we have coverage? Do we know who those contacts are? And then trying to create this group for the sales team and the BDR team so they know who to go after after rather than digging through hundreds of contacts that might be in an account because these accounts are huge. Um, so we're trying to create that auto, like that one place for them to go look. Um, yeah. We have a nice little timeline that shows everything that all those people have done in the last like 365 days that they then see like really nicely in a little plugin right on their view. And then as they move from stage to stage because of um, scoring or whatnot, that'll, that'll also be automated. So it's mm-hmm. only at the point where we're asking for a human to call, get an appointment, qualify it. Do they need to actually do anything? And then we're only asking them to fill the stage, which they're going to do as part of the sales process anyway. Right. So we tried to make it really easy for the the sales team and the users because again, they need to be out there having conversation focused on closing, not focused on administration work in Salesforce, the best that we can kind of manage that. Right. So, that was our approach. Well, I can see why you were speaking at an ABM event. Now I'm trying to figure out why was I even there. That I, I could see like you're, you're that's that's cool. I, you built it. It's working, and um, that to your point, it's you know it's not ABM. It's good marketing. It's it's not even a buzzword. You you've got that thing hooked up. That's fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. My my question is about something you mentioned earlier. The whole conversation around marketing sourced versus influence. First touch, does that get credit? Last touch, middle touch. And then, you know, specific to your particular new company, you have known accounts. So it's mm-hmm. not like you're necessarily going to be grabbing new ones in there too often. But could you talk to me about how do you justify, it's probably the question, how do you justify the marketing team's work, all the money you've spent? Mm-hmm. And, and then what do you report on to kind of like prove that you're doing your job? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fair question. So we... We at the highest level, we don't don't talk talk about sourced, but when we go and we build our plan for the year, we start with what the booking goals are, how much pipeline do we need, um, what is the average velocity, so how how far in advance do we need to start creating those opportunities to meet those goals, and then from what we know, looking at the data, where is marketing, quote unquote, creating that opportunity because it's flowing through the demand unit process. Again, I expect that that sales team is calling and touching those accounts or the client expansion team is working on expanding and farming, like farming within their, their accounts and they're having those conversations. So, but I can see where something is starting through the demand unit process versus um, was created net new by an AE at a later stage. And that's not to say who sourced that deal still, because it could happen for any number of reasons. Um, that maybe just wasn't a conversion that marketing saw or they converted because they had a conversation with sales that we didn't see. So we can see kind of how that starts, that opportunity started, and we can make some assumptions about how we're going to get to that opportunity number and like what's theoretically going to come through marketing engaging prior to it being an opportunity versus we're going to continue to engage and nurture it once it is an opportunity. And so um, that's kind of the baseline of how we think about our, our marketing planning and try to back into what we need from those goals. And then when we look at, okay, so what did we do and what's the influence? We do have a methodology around tracking attribution and understanding which touch points happened at which points in time. So did they happen before you became engaged? And this was the thing that made you engaged. Is this the thing that pushed you over the edge and you became a PDU? Or 
um, were these touches that typically happen and accelerate the, the cycle once it is an opportunity. So we are tracking when those touches happen and then what the impact is on pipeline and booking. So we do still do attribution around that. And we're we're then not taking the total pipeline number when we're looking at a tactic case. We're looking at what was the um, multi-touch attribution for that pipeline and that touch. Um, and then we also go through and say, okay, well, we spent X amount of money this year and we generated X percent in pipeline just at the corporate level because even at a like a brand level, we're doing other things that maybe aren't drawn directly to ta uh, from from one to the other. Um, and we're looking at that and what is the kind of the return on investment for marketing in terms of pipeline generated for any kind of spend within a year and and understanding what that what that looks like. So that's how we approach it today and understanding the impact. Um, so it's not that we don't do any of that. It's just that we're not expected to be sourcing deals and we're not having political fights about who started the deal because it's yeah. just, it's a waste of time for everyone. Yeah. The infighting does waste a lot of time uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Do right. you I'd still all be in the boat, just rowing? We're all in the boat together. Yeah. We're just rowing, rowing in the same direction. And then if we can agree on that, then um, we're good. But um, we also have a good relationship with the sales team. So I've right. never worked with a sales team that wasn't knocking on my door saying, I need more leads that want to close like yesterday. So can you just whip that up? Yeah. <laughs> um, the sales team actually is saying, no, oh my gosh, this, you guys are the best marketing team we've ever worked for. You hand feed us stuff. We don't need anything else from you. You're doing such a great job. And um, for any any sales rep, let alone multiple sales reps to ever say that to a marketer, I feel like that's high praise. High praise. And I'm going to be real proud of it. And brag about it all the time yeah as you should i mean because the opposite happens a lot in other organizations so yeah. uh, sounds like you found a nice little grove of unicorns <laughs> yeah. or so, we just do a really good job <laughs> or just or you just everyone just works really hard yeah totally yeah. uh do you do when you're in such an account type situation do you do a lot of linkedin or twitter advertising or or not really because you've already known everybody and you don't need to get any more we don't. And it's, it's not because we couldn't use other channels to help us engage because every, I, I don't believe there's one perfect way to get to somebody or we've not had good luck with LinkedIn or Twitter. So mm -hmm. um, way back in fairly early Twitter advertising days, um, Cvent actually spent a lot of money trying to kind of win the Twitter advertising game for our, our space and our niche. And we had terrible results. It was such a joke. Um, we're basically, and Steven sells event management software. We, they sold to event planners, marketers, trainers, people hosting a lot of events or just one big paid event. And the market was pretty wide. But then when we would run advertising on Twitter, basically Twitter, we would get nothing interesting. And Twitter would come back and be like, oh, your followers are love pampers. And you're like, mm, I don't think that's who we we're supposed to be targeting. So that kind of put me off Twitter for a while anyway. And mm -hmm. um, that I just don't know that they had their, at the time they had their game, like they came together. Um, and when we post on social today, that's where we see the lowest amount of engagement. So it doesn't make us necessarily feel like we should invest or double down there from a, from a demand gen perspective. And then on LinkedIn, you know, we've gone through waves of saying, okay, let's test LinkedIn because those are now professionals. You have a lot more information about how you can go target them. You can be really specific now and even target at the account level, which we mm -hmm. always do. Um, 
but even then we end up driving consultants to our page, which is like, I don't even understand how they're seeing our ads, but, um, we're driving with the traffic that we're driving is not interesting traffic. It's not mm-hmm. traffic that's converting. And so we don't necessarily want to double down there. And I, the only, I think LinkedIn can work for a lot of people. And I think that it's a good channel. It just hasn't really worked for us. So I, I wouldn't write it off. Um, and like I said, we'll go through waves where we'll try it again because LinkedIn changes something and more stuff is available when they rolled out the fact that when they rolled out the functionality, so you could target accounts, we tried it again because now it sure. wasn't just target hospitals and health systems. Did it, it work? Was, or they tricked you again? No, they tricked me again. <laughs> tricked LinkedIn, me again. get your act together. I did feel better about it though, because I knew that they were only showing our ads to actual, actual hospital systems because right. I mean, their data is only as good as the data that's provided by the users in the page admin. So like Evariant was marked as a hospital and health system too. So I understand that technology vendors were also showing up because that's how they had flagged themselves for other strategic reasons. So there it is. So that's why I like targeting at the account level, but we just haven't seen it be super effective. Um, and at Evariant, we were operating really lean. So I also couldn't afford to sink a lot of money into LinkedIn, whereas right. maybe if we spent more money, it would have been more effective, but that just wasn't in the budget when it wasn't proving out. Any other ABM advertising or targeting, like you know the Engageos and Terminuses of the world? Yeah, so we've we've tried account based display. Yeah, and you we did we have seen a lift in website traffic from those accounts when we're running display ads. Okay. So that kind of vets out. But again, it's kind of still hard to prove out. And where we sell multiple products to very different buyers it's also very hard to then track downstream what mattered because yeah. those accounts span all of the product campaigns. And so what's really driving the lift? What's working? How do we optimize? How do we prove that that's valuable? So we've tried it um, and we've tried it with a couple different vendors. And again, I think it has its place yeah. where you have the budget to support it, but where we were operating so lean it was hard to justify spending something there versus putting more money into a CPL campaign where we were definitely getting something out of it on the other side. Yeah. It's a little more clear what's happening. One yeah. versus another. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It'd be interesting that they get their, their tracking a little bit more clear to be able to show the influence of that. Mm-hmm. I think they take really big liberties. Yeah. Um, really move, big liberties. Move everything. Um, they're like, oh, well, somebody from this account saw this ad. So we're going to take all the credit for that pipeline. <laughs> I don't think that's going to work out for you. The 100,000 so. deal was thanks to our, our that one display that that uh, marketing coordinator saw. Nope. Nope. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, so we've tried it. I'm not... I'm not against it like flat out in the same way that like, I don't know that I'm going to spend money on Twitter after the experiences that we've had. Somebody's right. really going to have to do some work to prove that that's hey, Did you have some like horror story on Twitter? I did. That was the Pampers thing. That was the Pampers thing where right. I was being showed up to a bunch of mommy bloggers that loved Pampers. Not at all our target audience. And they couldn't even explain to us why, why our ad was being shown to these people. Um, and we drove a lot of bots followers which was really delightful and this again this was early days so i know stuff has changed but wow your count's followed by 10 million people you know hundred thousand and nine hundred thousand nine million bots yeah <laughs> Jeez. yeah well how about on the flip side what's got you excited these days about marketing 
Yeah. So like I said, a variant was recently acquired by health grades at the start of the year. And so we have a lot of integration work to do to bring the two companies and two mm-hmm. brands offerings together. We're very, very complimentary in a way that um, I don't know that I have quite appreciated beforehand um, because we did compete with each other in the space too, but we have offerings that are separate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're now bringing the teams together get to go through a whole new lead management conversation, which will be fun and exciting. And there are definitely things that I wish we had done differently now that we've implemented the domain in a waterfall and we learned some things. And so figure kind of navigating through that as we get to know the team, um, both on the marketing side, as well as the sales side um, is really fun. And then um, Casey, we talked at that event that we met at a lot about podcasting, which is how I sound here today um and how that could work because we had been it was a trap <laughs> apparently sure i started that conversation though did you um, oh ironic <laughs> what podcasting <laughs> suddenly i'm like paying attention <laughs> um so i'm interested to figure out how that could potentially work for us i'm yeah. hesitant to want to go out and start a podcast because that feels like a big commitment we're really putting the stake in the ground and committing to do a long thing sure. but i'm but we have been talking about as we went into 2020 planning about doing like a video mini series, which is mm. kind of the same idea um, where we, you know, pick six, seven, eight, ten leaders that'll come on and talk to us about a topic. Um, yeah. About that. And if that goes really well, maybe we expand it. But um, I'm I'm excited to try that. And then after we talked about how you think about the podcast um, and the potential that it has on the brand. Cause like, how do you measure a podcast? Tracking's not amazing. And we're advertising on podcasts, but yeah. it's kind of a leap of faith. Are you? You're a advertising on podcasts, are you? <laughs> we are. We are. Uh, one uh, or two of them. Or how, one how, network, I guess. How many hospitals do I have listening? I send an email <laughs> to caseyatrishaimpact.com. Um, okay. So you kind of tested the waters with some of that, but it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, sponsorship. Hard. We have one mm-hmm. sponsor for the show other than oh, Cheshire impact, obviously, but then qualified is, is a web chat for Pardot and Salesforce. And so mm-hmm. they've sponsored the show recently. Thanks mm-hmm. guys. Um, uh, and so we have some call to action to have people go check out a demo in which case they get a free copy of my book. And so there's like a cool, a full circle thing looped into it. Otherwise you just like a display ad and it'd be really hard to to track that but I, yep. I think it's all about connection you know um and i think it actually probably works even better for the account-based style right if you're just mm-hmm. going after a lead you can't chit chat with all your leads but you could you know go have a podcast conversation with your top 100 accounts yep or those yep. ceos at those accounts who you're trying to see if you can get in touch with maybe you don't have them on, on the deal but you invite them onto your podcast yeah so i think there's some interesting stuff um you should totally there. do it you totally do. You should do it tomorrow. <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of stuff to do. I know you just like merging companies and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Lots, lots of, lots of stuff that needs to happen there. But all exciting stuff. It's the integration stuff is actually really fun to me. Um, You're wincing as you said that, of course. Well, I just I feel like people think it's crazy. <laughs> Oh, okay. People think you're crazy for like being all about. Well, it's cool. I mean, you're. It's like you're trying to merge you know, big wire, one of those, like, you know, those cat five cables for internet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen inside them. There's like, I don't know, there's like mm-hmm. 12 wires or something in there. I yeah. don't even know. There's a lot. So, and you're like trying to link them all together and keep the mm-hmm. flow of information going. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's fun. And, um, the sale, oh my gosh, the sales team here is so excited, yeah. um, which is amazing. Um, I have sales leaders flying places to just 
be meet with me for like an hour. Um, really? Which is, yeah. Which I hope is they have a few other meetings. <laughs> which is amazing. Um, maybe, maybe, but um, just the fact that they are excited to have marketing support, I think set like it starts the tone in a really nice way True. as we figure out what the new world looks like. And instead of just being like, oh, we don't care about what marketing's doing when if what I like about marketing is the fact that you can yeah. kind of draw that line between the things that we do and how that comes downstream. And then, oh my gosh, bookings, because I'm a very competitive person and I like to win. Yes. If we're not doing things that are resulting in us winning. I'm not that interested in it. And right. we can only do that when we have a good relationship with the sales team and that we both trust each other and we're all in the boat together and we're a team and behaving as a team, not sales and marketing. So, right. Um, you know, I think that old that. attitude, it, it has to go away, right? Eventually it gets, it gets, you know, those companies will fail or those people will retire, but it, mm-hmm. you just can't compete when you have that antagonistic view. The two, de- only the only two departments in the company dedicated to trying to get new customers, not getting along. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, you, how do you make that where you can't? So I, I'm, I'm stoked, I'm stoked to hear you've got that such an extreme example of how it really can work that everyone mm-hmm. else needs to, I mean, at least get over the angry stuff and just start working together. Right. Right. And it's, I mean, it's hard and yeah, um, people always ask me why I think it's hard. And I actually think it comes back to what the team's goals are and not having aligned goals. So if you're goaling on an MQL or how many webinars you did this month or more of an activity thing versus a results thing, I I think that also then starts to add some strife because marketers aren't then speaking the sales team's language. um, And so they're not hearing necessarily what you're doing or they're not catching it in the way or you're not feeding it to them in a way that's easy. If if you're making the sales reps work too hard, then they're not going to care that much about what you're doing as a marketer. And so I think you need to work hard at, like, I think it's actually on our, on us to do that work to, and come to the, like to meet them where they are rather sure. than expecting them to meet us where we are and understand impressions and clicks and. They why. got a hard problem. They got to get across the finish line and there's a bunch of people mm-hmm. they got to convince it's the right move. Hopefully it is the right move, but yeah. It, hey, I need more opportunities coming through. Well, the, the CPM shows on the CPQ of the CPC that uh, you should be all set. Oh, okay. Thanks for not helping me marketing. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. It, just, it doesn't so, work. Yeah, so it's, it's hard, but I think it, it's hard mostly because of where our incentives are and where we're yeah, goals. Yeah, and, and the goals. How we're awesome. measured. Um, so if we can start to shrink that gap, and it doesn't work for, it doesn't work for all marketing roles in the same way. Um, it's much easier to do that in a more demand focused practice than mm-hmm. something that, you know, maybe is design or PR where it's further away from that sales interaction and further away from pipeline, although equally important. And if you have a strong brand, you're going to lift your demand gen um, results by having that brand. So um, it goes together, but I think that that's actually why a lot of us struggle with it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And a lot of salespeople haven't had good results with marketing. And so they don't come to the table with much expectation. And so then you have to walk it back and work it back. I gave a presentation at our sales meeting last week to the sales team, to the brand new sales team. And um, I heard last night that 
some of the people kind of bristled and took offense because one of my slides was actually, I had leads, leads, leads was written on it after talking about the pipeline that we need to generate as a team. Um, and I crossed it out and I said, I actually don't want to talk about leads with you. I want to talk about opportunities. I want to talk about pipeline. I want to talk about bookings. That's actually what you want. Um, and apparently some, some of the team didn't necessarily love that. I said, I don't want to talk about leads or I don't, that's not what we're trying to do here. Um, but I, and I think that they just like stopped listening to me. So I didn't necessarily do a great job of conveying that message, even though I was trying to be very self-focused in the way I did it, but right. we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Slow and steady, you know, little steps forward, make a big difference over time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right now I'm trying to make sure I'm not over promising. Um, Well, Sherry, you said rain would fall from the sky. Okay. Rain will fall from the sky, but maybe not tomorrow. Right, right. So keep doing the dance and eventually it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll come down. Do you guys do do any of the chat? Any of the web chat? We don't do chat today, um, but I really like it. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I really want to be doing it. And Quite frankly, the only reason we hadn't done it at Evarian yet was because I didn't feel like we had the resources to onboard another tool and to manage another tool. And um, like we were, I totally believe in personalization and we we use it. And I think we're just like not even at like 20%. Yeah. I mean, with chat, it's, it's one of those things. What I like about it is that you're actually connecting people instead of saying like, well, wait, hold on and wait. You're doing some research or you have a question you actually do want to talk to someone, just go ahead and wait a second. I'm going to send it to my sales team and they, they may try to follow up with you later than I'd like them to. And it may take them like four emails to finally connect with you and find a good time to get back on the phone when you're already on the phone right now. Um, so I like the, the urgency of that for the people that are available. Um, and what I've seen work really well too is where you have sales manning the chat, mm-hmm. but they're only talking to their accounts, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, um, qualified pings part out at pink Salesforce. And it's like, Oh, this is that CEO at that, maybe not CEO browsing web, but like that one of those people in that account team uh, or, or that unit. And, you know, and here's that account rep that, that owns that account. Great. Let's connect them. So if they want to chat, it's the person you would be talking to anyways, you know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you can't give them noise. You can't give all those, like the high powered gunslinging sales reps, the noise of every little visitor to your site, mm-hmm. you only give them the ones that are for the accounts they really want to talk to. Yeah. And the, I mean, the other half of that problem too, is if they don't get enough traffic, then they're also not paying attention to right. their new chat. Right. Um, Cause we, I've lived this life before. So I've had chat on a website in the past oh, cool. and that was before they got all sophisticated with their AI bots and their guided conversations. And so we had, literal people yeah. manning those things, but it, it was very successful for us. Um, we found that it drastically improved our CPC, uh, click, uh, yeah, pay-per-click results, PPC results. Um, cause we were spending tons and tons of money to drive people to the site. And so then we had this whole big project about conversions and that's actually when the, we brought in the live chat. Um, and it really helped with that. And then it helped with our product, um, from a product-led strategy perspective as well and adoption and getting people's answers to questions. And so I've seen it work really well. And I think the tools that are available now are even better where you can create some of those guided experiences. You can have people register for webinars and events by chatting with somebody, even though it's really just a bot asking you all the same questions, but somehow psychologically we feel differently about it. 
Um, but we just need to find like where it fits in the roadmap so that when we do ultimately decide that chat is right for us, we're ready to actually use it effectively rather yeah. than just buy another shiny object tool that we actually can't get to and master and use effectively. So I do think that that's really hard for marketers today because there's so much cool technology out there that we uh -huh. all want to use. Um, but we can't realistically buy all the things and implement them well and handle and use them well and integrate them into the system. So you end up buying a thing, being so excited about it, implementing it, and then abandoning it. And right. you do that over and over. Yeah. And MarTech technologies are real expensive right now. They, everyone's yeah. demanding a really high price tag um, for pretty much everything they do, even if it's not deserving Email. of it. <laughs> so. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my question to you is like, who are you? How did you become this? wizard in the marketing world how did you, I did you always wizard? know you're going to be in market i take us back to like little sherry days mm. um i did not i actually wanted to be a lawyer when nice. i was really little and then um i learned how much you have to read as a lawyer <laughs> and i'm not a super fast reader um which I wish I was. I wish I knew how to like be a fast reader and still retain things. I'm just not a super fast reader. So then I realized that pro law probably wasn't probably wasn't for me. But I still think in a different life um, I could have been a lawyer and I would have really liked it. Um, and I really enjoyed my law classes in business school. So I'm, I'm probably a little weird that way. But I didn't want to do all the work to actually be a good lawyer. You need so, like, the intersection. Maybe do doing marketing for attorneys or something. Maybe, maybe. Um, and then, so I got my first marketing job actually in high school. So I was in a fashion marketing class, which was like a really fun little elective and whatever. Sure. And a local business, a local government reseller reached out to our teacher and was like, we need an intern, whatever. And so I was interested. And so my very first marketing job was in high school with a government bar and I was asked the literally to date I think it's the hardest interview question I've ever been asked and I yeah. don't even I think I blacked out because the question sticks with me but I have no idea what I said back <laughs> what was um, the question so the question was uh went something to the effect of basically your biggest strength is also your biggest weakness and vice versa so give me an example where that's true in both directions and you had to explain how something you were really good at also was a big detriment to you and how something that was you were really not good at was actually a big benefit Interesting. and I couldn't even tell you what I answered that question I still don't know how to answer that question today <laughs> so I'm like 15 20 years whatever it's been years later um but it was so hard so that was my first marketing job and I was doing like database entry folder stuffing all kind of the normal the normal stuff yeah. there and then went to college and the CEO. Well, before we get to college, I need to go back to the hardest question. Oh. Do you agree with that premise? Because mm. I don't know. And I don't, I don't know. I've never I'm blacking out too on how I would answer that. Yeah. Oh, hell I no. Mean, that's a strength, you know? I, I mean, I guess there's probably cases where that's true, right? If you're really organized and super structured, that could be really good. But it also maybe it could be bad if you're not flexible. So maybe there are cases where that's true. Does that impose a glass half empty mindset on you that you have to then justify and explain back? You know, it's like, you're great at improvising. You're terrible at planning. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I guess I am terrible at planning. Like, uh, yeah. That's yeah. So weird. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And then how do you, I mean, I was like 16. How do you position that as a positive? You should hire me. It was 
I wanted to cry. I remember wanting to cry. I have no idea what I said back, um, I but bet. it clearly stuck with me. <laughs> now you haven't asked your team that question, have you? No, but I am. You're in, nice. <laughs> yeah, I am in desperate search though of a good golden question. So oh. if somebody has a good golden question, I want to hear it. I'll bounce um, one off you. Um, really cool guy named Eric Qualman. He's like a speaker now, and um, I was interviewing with him at EF Educational Tours and whatnot. And he asked me, we're sitting down. He's a really cool guy. He's like, he's like, what is the annual revenue of Starbucks in 2019? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, let me get my phone out and I'll just Google it and find it. He goes, no, 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 no phone. He, he passes me a piece of paper and a pencil. He's like, here you go. And I just remember inside uh, probably how you felt with your question I was like, oh my God, I don't even know what to do. And then the rest of the other part of me was like, just start writing something. He's watching you. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, who drinks coffee? <laughs> mm-hmm. How many Americans drink coffee? Yep. You know? And just started doing some goofy. I think it was off by a couple mil, you know, but, um, but it's it, not really the point. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think he just appreciated it. worked. I got hired. Uh, but yeah. yeah, one of those interesting questions to, uh, I've never asked anyone that though. It'd be interesting to see how people respond. It'd be interesting to see the, the whole spectrum of like different kind of responses you get. I think it'd be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, if anybody has a golden question, I'm super interested in it. Um, my friend told me recently their uh, CEO, their his thing is he always gets the lunch interview. Okay. And so his golden question is to be like, where do you want to go for lunch? Because he wants somebody that's going to be decisive and say something not oh i don't know whatever you want in the meantime most people want to be accommodating and so right. like, oh, i'm not picky i don't want to see high maintenance in an interview and so it's it's funny how some of those things kind of work out somebody else told me recently that their golden question it was a marketing leader and so they're hiring marketers you have to tell them something that you've sold and it can be kind of abstract but you have to kind of sell whatever that that idea is that you're saying that you had to sell yeah. whether that was you know a technology like you were actually in a sales role or an idea or something else because our whole point was um you you need to understand where the sales team is coming from if they're our customer yeah um, so that's that was interesting basically if you don't have one then you're you're done in the water right there apparently so cutthroat. that restaurant thing though i mean where would i yeah, I'm flexible. I'm happy to go anywhere. Do I, I need to recommend something. Hey, how about sushi? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what'd be funny? You kind of put a post online so anyone that follows the CEO around, so that anytime someone Google's like CEO and like hiring, it says, you know, he's gonna ask you about lunch. And so I just be like, yeah, Ruth, Chris, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you there at eleven. <laughs> yeah. So call his bluff on that question. one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sorry, I took us off track. Just I had to, to uh, tackle that question. <laughs> but, uh, but you're saying like you went to school thinking, man, this marketing thing is kind of my jam. So I actually went to school thinking I wanted to be an interior designer. Oh, okay. So, so it wasn't even that. So no. you did a little, a little volunteering or a little, little work. Mm-hmm. You're thinking law. And so you went to interior design school? Yeah. So I went to, I went to Virginia Tech. I'm a Hokie. And Are you from Virginia, Virginia too or? I am from Virginia. I grew up right outside DC in Northern Virginia, and now okay. I live in Boston. I've been up here for about four and a half years. Um, I was born in Virginia so, too. Oh, nice! Where? Uh, the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. Okay. Yeah, it had mm-hmm. family in Alexandria. So, hey, what's up? We're like we're like neighbors. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I am. I miss all the good food from DC. Boston mm. does not quite have the same variety of food. Oh, a bunch of Bostonians are just getting mad at you right now. Let's get back to uh, Virginia Tech here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I went to Virginia Tech and um, at Virginia Tech, the interior design program is part of the architecture school, which okay. is, was, is, was, is a top five architecture school. And so the very first year, everyone in that school actually takes the same curriculum. So you're basically an architecture student. And I hated studio so much. And it was four hours, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm sorry, Monday, Wednesday, Friday from eight to noon. And I hated it. What do you have to I do? Hated it. Um, you know, studio. I feel like we had, it, it was so unstructured. That was really my issue with it. It was so unstructured. It was just like, come in and do whatever you want. Do something that represents you. And I just, cool. I hated it. I hated it so much. So I suffered through a year of that. And I was like, I just got to get through the first year. I just got to get through the foundations. Like, so where's my homework assignment? Come on. Yeah. Get, assign me and something just, to do. Yeah, because you spent four hours, or I'm sorry, you spent, what, 12 hours in the studio every week, and then probably at least another 12, like, working on projects that had no direction. Were there a lot um, of the, you know, pro football players in your class? No. No. Okay. no. Just come in. You'll get an no. A. No. Um, it was really hard. It was really hard. So, but it was hard at the same time. It was like this loose, hard thing. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, Cause I felt like I never knew what the expectations were and I don't, I, it was not totally structured enough for me. And so I made it through the first year and showed up the first week of class where now I'm actually in like the interior design program. Um, and I go to studio and I'm just sitting there and the teacher's talking about like what we're going to learn and what we're going to do and how he structures his class. And I just, I was like, I'm out, I'm out. I can't do this. And so I had already wanted to minor in marketing anyway. And yeah. so, um, I just switched. So that was my full major in the business school and, um, then added sociology as my minor, which were always, they were always my favorite classes. The sociology classes were so fun. They were so fun. No, I, I could see that. And I want to ask you about that, but that back to that so do you actually remember that experience being in that particular class where like that light switch just was like nope <laughs> did you leave early or do you like you waited and I sat through the class but then I like I went home I cried I felt like I was a failure because oh, I decided yeah, I course. wanted to change majors and I'm a, like I'm a sophomore second year like it's yeah. fine to change and, like now I'm looking back and going why did I think that was such a big deal that right. I failed at this thing that I had never done before um and decided that I didn't like it. Like, actually, that was really successful. Yeah, you um, failed quickly, quickly so enough quickly. to change. Yeah. So I do, but I totally remember sitting in that class and just feeling so confident that this was not, I was not going to make it through college <laughs> with these classes. I just was not. Um, Looking back, it's such a blessing, right? You're like so pissed in the moment, like are you pissed and sad and like, so just like, oh, my life is turning upside down. But looking back, you're like, Oh, that was helpful. <laughs> it was like, yeah. a, it was like, mm, should I dilly dally in this thing? Nope. Nope. No, I'm so wow. glad my parents didn't let me go to that tiny little school in Philadelphia that I loved because they were it was just a design school. Oh no! Well, I I would have had to change schools. And have you thanked them for not lost. letting you do that? <laughs> um, I haven't because I don't think I realized until just now what a what an important piece of that was. Yeah. Um, we, t me and my significant other talk all the time about like the butterfly effect. If yeah. any, if either of us change just like one thing, basically in our senior, in our senior year of high school, we would have never met and we wouldn't, you know, now be 14 years later or 
whatever it is. Um, so it's kind of crazy how that works. But it's, no, I don't think yeah. I realized that my parents kind of saved me until just now. So maybe, maybe I'll consider thanking them. You should text them after the show. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's true, though. Just you know, the, the things that look like you know failures or mistakes. Like I was a bad student. That's how I met my wife. I started a company and like all these other <laughs> things. You know, um, who knows? But I think you know when you have when you can look back on the past and you have more time to to kind of give it context in the moment you have no context it's like you're in it but mm-hmm. afterward you're like oh i see what happened i would have been a terrible like i was going to be a pilot at one point like i would have been a terrible pilot like <laughs> you don't need creativity when you're a pilot it's like no. hey guys i know we're supposed to fly to florida today but i was thinking vegas you know like no no we need like execute like consistency mm-hmm. so it's those little little changes so very yeah. cool sociology though that was kind of like the thing that just always was your jam I just I don't um so I took basically as a business student I had to take either psychology or sociology intro class yeah I was just part of the curriculum and I just I loved the class I just loved it in the way that people think and how um it just like all interacts together and so I don't know. I just really attached to it. And they were always my favorite classes because they were fun. They were just fun. I wouldn't want to be like a yeah, researcher. What, how do you, I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that um, right. as a career, but I always thought they were fun classes. I learned interesting things. Um, it was always really intriguing. So that was like my fun thing I did in college um, in terms of like school, school stuff. Um, so then I worked way too many jobs all the way through college. Um, yeah, that's a real experience from that stuff, though. It is. And so including, I was actually a marketing coordinator for a different government bar. So the CEO of the place that I worked in high school started his own company. Oh, cool. um, so I got hired there as a marketing coordinator and worked like 30 hours remotely for them and worked in an accounting firm and wow. was part of the board at the Y and ran a program. So I like way overcommitted myself. but all of that then helped me actually get a marketing job right out of school, which is really hard to do. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate the chances I got. And so one of the things that we do, and I really believe in this program is uh, Northeast Northeastern has a co-op program. That's part of why kids go to Northeastern is because of the program. Cause you will do two co-ops. So six months of full time. So you leave school with a basically a year of real experience and so we participate in that program and watching those, they're so smart. Those kids are so oh, yeah. smart and watching them grow as professionals over those six or seven months that they're with us is amazing. But I feel so thankful for the fact that other people took chances on me that I just want to pay it forward and help them. And we've, we've had some really amazing co-ops, um, really amazing co-ops that even in their second year, like I would have gone to the mattresses to hire them if they wanted to drop out of school. Yeah. So, and maybe great. they sh- maybe they should have. <laughs> maybe. Uh, that's another debate. You know, thinking about, you know, looking back on the career of marketing and trying things and failing and then really finding your sweet spot. If you could hop in a time machine and travel back to the beginning of, I'd say like beginning of your career, maybe you just graduated or any other time that you think would be important. What would you advise yourself? What would you tell yourself knowing all the things you've experienced and succeeded at and failed and what would you tell yourself um I think and I feel like this probably is going to sound really cliche and a little little like okay um but kind of just keep plugging through it so there's definitely been times where I feel completely ill-equipped and don't know anything about this thing I'm trying to figure out or how to do it or 
um, whatnot serious i'm like imposter syndrome right it's imposter that's a good one is that the good one or is that the the imposter yeah i think that's what a lot of people have where it's just like i'm sure i have that every other day and probably before and after this podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) right and so Um, just give up just because you don't feel equipped for it but actually you're you're fine you're a smart person you'll figure it out um and you'll get through the other side and that's actually how you grow and get better and learn new stuff and so just that reminder particularly if I could go back to some of those moments in time where I really felt that way and just remind myself that you'll get to the other side. I'm coming from the future. Um, I would probably do that. Yeah. Yeah. Not always been an easy journey. Right. And you know, would that all be kind of the same thing that imposter syndrome or just feeling ill-equipped or maybe you could just kind of explain what's your take on that? I mean, in all reality, I think it's easy. Like it's something everyone probably feels to some degree or the other. And I believe in that, like theory or saying or basically when you stop feeling like an imposter you um you've reached the top or well no what is it it's something about being promoted and not feeling like an imposter or being really out of your own I don't know there's a thing I'm messing this up um it's like it's because it's live of course no but no it's that whole idea and I'm (laughs) sure it'll motivate me and Mm -hmm. you and half a dozen million other people billions of people listening to uh, yeah. go Google it. But yeah, yeah. It's like it, when you've, when you've reached the point where you don't feel like you're, you're missing some things, maybe you, you're not challenging yourself, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe you've gotten too comfortable right. where you're at right. you're not growing as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important. Cause even, so you like, you made that comment about being pilot, like being a pilot wasn't a creative aspect. So I actually feel like everyone can be creative in their job. Sure. It just may not be creative in the way that we think about um, like big campaign ideas or brand new design, but just solving a problem um, and how oh, sure. you get data from one place to another, right? Like you have the opportunity to be really creative there. So for sure, um, like creative problem solving, would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Hey, your plane is having some issue. Great. Let's flip it upside down. Fly. Oh, that's a movie. Right. But like, let's do all these things. Mm-hmm. But all the other points of the time, they'd be like, I don't really want something bad to happen, but I'm, I'm really kind of bored here. I need to, I need a problem to solve. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're bored yeah. and patient, we've been talking um, with my brother-in-law recently over Christmas about like A players and what does it mean to be an A player, oh, yeah. have A players in your team? Because some people seem to think that you can't have all A players and that's too mm. overwhelming. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true. But I think the real crux of what we're all getting at when we start to have that conversation is that we don't all need a bunch of people on our team that just want to climb the ladder and just want to get promoted. And it's okay to not have those aspirations and just want to be really good at this very specific thing that you do. And as long as you continue to push yourself and you're learning and you're like getting better at that or moving the ball forward, then you can still be an amazing part of the team. And like, we need more people like that, not just people that climb the ladder. So. Yeah, yeah, true. Like, oh, this is a stepping stone for me. I really want to be the CMO uh, in uh, three and a half months. You know, mm-hmm. okay, well, like, enjoy where you're at. You enjoy the journey. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, that's a good point. And, yeah, and if you don't want to be a CMO, that's also okay. You don't need yeah. to be a CMO. Yeah, you don't. You're really amazing at what what you do, um, and that's that's actually good. And we should probably value some of those people more than uh, maybe we do in in the general we royal we standpoint. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the consistency of just wanting to execute. Mm-hmm. I respect that tremendously because I've mm-hmm. recognized that I'm like, okay, 
I like surrounding myself with people who are just, just so consistent and dependable and awesome in that regard. It's just, it's, yeah. it helps complement you and your strengths, you know? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. my strengths become my weaknesses and vice versa. <laughs> and we totally full circle, Casey. I brought full it all circle. back. Brought it all, all back. back. Well, this circle. has been awesome. Hey, you know, where can people connect with you if they want to, you know, get some of your knowledge and info? Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah. is probably the best place to find me. And if you send me a message that's not a sales message out of the blue, I'll probably <laughs> respond to you. But yeah. if you just try to sell me something because you heard me say a thing, it's probably not going to go well for you. But either way, say that you heard her on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get those too. I get those too, where it's like, mm, this smells like a thing. Mm-hmm. Approve. And you get this thing. You're just like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, not even reading it. What do you do uh, when you get those? Oh, I reject you and say, I don't know. I don't know you. Oh, oh, for a, for a, a connect request mm-hmm. that you don't know the person? You just reject yeah. it? Yeah, okay. I'll say, because you can accept your decline. And when you decline, it then asks on LinkedIn, it asks you if you if you don't know that person. Punish and that's them. why you're declining them. Yeah. And I do, I do it it works do. too. It, it can shut them down if they do that mm-hmm. too much. Um, yeah. Sometimes they get through. And if I get that message, like I'll, I'll do the accept. Mm-hmm. But if I get that message, I go after it with impunity. And I, I will I will report it. But I will block the person. It, it'll like all the things. So yeah, I always get mad about this topic because it's like whoever that person is, either your company's using you or you're destroying your network because I've literally blocked you. And maybe just one person, but if 30% of the people you do this to are blocking you, your network is shrinking of the people yep. who even can see you. Yep. I do the same thing when I get uh, cold calls on my cell phone. Unfortunately, somebody has attached my cell phone to my profile in one of those list acquiring companies. Yeah. Um, And so now I get cold calls on my cell phone all the time and I will block that number and you will never be able to talk to me again. Yeah. Hey, the worst thing is really just keep talking to them for a long time. (laughs) Just wasting their time. But then I also have to invest the time in doing that. And, you know, I I happen to recall getting credit card calls in resident college. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember being like, oh, you want my roommate? Okay, hold on a second. He's coming. And <laughs> you just put the phone down. <laughs> there you go. Back to your work. That is kind Not of that I'm condoning that, people, but uh, just an idea for you. Maybe I'll do that next time. I try to hire people too. If I, like a salesperson reaches out mm-hmm. and they're halfway decent, I'm like, you don't need to be working at that company. I'll take this call, but I'm going to interview at the same time. So if you take this call, then it's an interview. And they're, <laughs> and they're like, wait, uh, that's in my work email. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your fault for setting LinkedIn to email, LinkedIn to email your work email and not your personal email. That's on you. That's on you, person. That's true. That's yeah. true. So, okay. So LinkedIn is a place to find you. Do you, yes. do you do a lot of Twitter as well or? Not a lot of Twitter. Really? I'll sometimes like live chat when I'm at an event, but less so now than I used to. I should just takes so much time to be part of all these different sites and yeah. talk and be like, and have meaningful things to say or connections yeah. or conversations. Um, so I spend most of my time on LinkedIn if I'm on social. So I like it. It's a good platform. Me. It's a good platform for that. And thankfully Microsoft hasn't broken it yet. So yes. that for yeah, that, I'm grateful. They broke Skype, but they haven't broke LinkedIn yet. That's okay. We now have Slack. We have Slack. It's way better than Skype. Ever we do was. too. We we left Skype for Slack, and it's been mm-hmm. mind-boggling amazing. Mm-hmm. 
I don't, so I don't even know why. It's just the UI is great. It's just a little messaging thing. I don't, it's not even magic. It's just so yeah. simple, but yeah. it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. This has been a trip. I don't know if you looked at the clock. Time has like morphed by. It has. It's flown by. It really has. So um, yeah, thanks for coming on here and just sharing your knowledge and just being freaking awesome. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for the people listening, if you learned something, and I know you did because I literally have two pages of notes over here, then um, <laughs> share this with someone, you know, get it out there, be a thought leader to one person or two people and uh, make a difference. So this has been great. Any, any parting, parting words? Mm. Talk sales is language. Don't expect them to conform to marketing. I like Meet that. them where they are. Yeah. I've never asked that last question before. And thankfully you did. <laughs> that was great. I like that. That was really good. On the spot. We didn't prep that at all. No, we did not. Way to go. <laughs> the surprises are all done. I know. I know. Totally. Well, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. All right. A big thank you to today's sponsors. Cheshire Impact helping marketers and sales win, maximizing the use of Pardot and Salesforce. And a big thank you to Qualified.com, the number one live chat and chat bot platform for Salesforce and Pardot. Remember the giveaway, if you have Salesforce Pardot and you want a free copy of my book, Marketing Automation Unleashed, then you go over to Qualified.com, engage in the chat, do a demo, and tell them that Casey sent you and that book will be on its way to your door. All right, we'll see you all in the next one.